Hi, Craig Wilson here, your host for the latest episode of the Making the Media podcast. Great to have you with us once again, and if you're a new listener, then welcome along. Marrying the creative process with the technical realities of delivering live or recorded shows is a challenge which every programme maker faces. Deadlines have to be met, budgets have to be hit, and all the while the balance between the wants of the editorial side and the realities faced by the technical team has to be struck. It's never easy. It's a balance which John Mason faces regularly in his role as Head of Programme Output Technical at the Scottish broadcaster STV. Now, full disclosure here, John and I used to work together when I was a programme editor at STV and John was directing or vision mixing the shows I produced. So, it was great to catch up with him again to discuss his role, the changing nature of news programming and digital challengers, and how they're attempting to diversify not just their audience, but also the contributors to their shows. We began by discussing the importance that both sides, editorial and technical, understand and appreciate the role each other has to play in producing the best shows. The business has changed a lot in the last kind of 10 to 15 years. Um, a lot of people are now very multi-skilled, maybe journalists or technicians. Um, we've obviously uh, moved away from just broadcasting and we're now digital in every aspect of what we produce. Um, so there had to be there had to be a sense that journalists have good skills and have very very good technical knowledge these days. They're, they're used to picking up a camera, they're used to editing their own um, videos at home, um, and now they're used to being professional um, editors in terms of their own output. Um, so there was always a danger that it was seen that they were maybe taking other people's jobs. In reality, what, what has happened is they supplement the, the technical crews that we have and allow us to do a lot more with uh, the number of people that we can employ. We work to budget, so everything everything has to be uh, balanced in terms of costs. So um, the ability to have a lot of journalists who can pick up a camera and go out and film good quality packages and edit them is vital for us. But we have craft crews as well who are out there filming um, I've been working on Sean Scotland, which is a programme we do, which shows the, the kind of beauty of Scotland and the interesting people that live around the country. Um, that's all filmed with a craft camera person. But we've got um, a shooting AD alongside who's filming as well. So there's, there's a natural coming together of the, the different roles that we have in our newsrooms. Um, and it's kind of important that the communication between both sides works and that everyone sees that um, we can work as a one big team. To produce great programs. I think it's interesting what you say there about the the skill set that comes complements, you know, the, the the craft skills that that exist. Do, do you think that goes both ways? That also on the craft side, people perhaps are learning from from the other side who perhaps not thinking in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really like when I was a, a director um, and a vision mixer to a lesser extent, I was really interested in the editorial. Um, I'm a news junkie, I'll watch the news channels to silly times in the morning, particularly if the US elections are on. Um, so I had a real interest in what was happening in the world and what we were putting into our programmes and how we were reflecting that. Um, I'm keen that the technicians that work around me and with me are also keen on the news agenda. And their job is not to just sit there and help output a programme that they don't care about because that, that's not the best way of working. I, I want them to have a passion for the programmes that they're creating. They're every bit as important as the journalists in getting these programmes made. Um, and as I say, with the change in uh, how we broadcast and the changes in digital, we're now, we're now using um, lots of uh, material that we source online. Um, 
they have to be able to find that. They have to know the best na narrative that we're going to take and how to find the material that complements the, the filmed packages. So, John, I mean, I think what you've illustrated there is obviously the sort of passion that you, that you have for the job and then translating that passion into, you know, the others that you that you work with. Um, one thing, of course, that's changed a lot in the course of the last couple of years has been the increasing use of things like Zoom and Teams. You know, here we are on Zoom, you know, doing this. And I'm interested in your thoughts on how that's changed the dynamic of some of the programmes that you do. Yeah, it's it's... It's kind of been forced upon us for obvious reasons. Um, uh, we Traditionally, we would have sent satellite trucks um, to people's houses to do remote interviews. Um, we would have brought them into studios, and we still love doing that. Um, obviously, the you don't get better than a face-to-face -face interview in reality. Um, but COVID kind of forced us to find new ways of getting people on our television. Um, so we had done Skype interviews before, but we were always maybe a bit snobbish about it and thought the quality is just not good enough. Um, it's getting better and better. It largely depends on the, the quality of the camera the other person's using and giving them a bit of advice on how to frame their shots and light, light the shots. Um, and it, the Wi-Fi and broadband is really important as well. But we do interviews now that you couldn't tell the difference at times as to whether they've been in a studio in London or whether they're sitting in their, their, their apartment in London doing the, the interview for us. So the great thing about it is it's, it's democratised um, the ability for people to get on TV. Um, in the past, we would find that people couldn't come to the studio for very good reasons, for family reasons, um, just because of the distances they had distances they had to travel. So often you found that people in urban centres would be involved in studio debates and programmes, but those out in rural communities couldn't be quite as easily. It would be a big effort for them. So through necessity, we've started using Zoom, we use QuickLink, we use Skype. And we're getting a, a whole load of new contributors to our programmes on air. And in the early days of the pandemic, it's really how we kept the news going, because uh, there were days that we were in the studio for hours at a time, um, talking people through how to do their first ever Skype. Um, uh, we had a great one with a, a man um, who I think he was in his mid-80s. And I, was, I remember being on the phone to him, talking to him and explaining. He'd, he'd managed to set up his Skype account. And then explaining to them how to how to get the camera activated and how to get the best picture for us. And he was delighted at the end of it. He was going back to his book club to tell them all we'd done a Skype. It's great. You know, you talked about democratizing, but I'm interested in sort of diversity and inclusion, perhaps. It's had an impact on that as well. Yeah. Um, so a good example is our Scotland Tonight programme, which is a current affairs show. And it goes out on a Monday to Wednesday about 10.40. Um, so it's quite late. So very often in the past, when we tried to book guests for that programme, often if it was a female contributor, they would say no to you because they had um, family commitments. They had children that were in bed um, that they, they didn't want to leave. Um, it was easier to get men into the studio. Women were more of a challenge. Um, the minute we were able to say to them, look, you don't have to leave your house. You can get involved from your living room or wherever your, your office is set up. Um, and we can get you on air. Um, that, that opens up a whole, a whole new group of people that we can get on the television. Um, and you get away from the same faces you see again and again because it's the same people that have that ability to commit to driving into Glasgow or Edinburgh or Aberdeen to go into a studio. Um, so, and then beyond that, it allows us to get people all around the world onto the programmes without a, an, an exorbitant cost, um, which in the past would be prohibit, prohibitive and would put you off maybe using someone in North America or... Um, elsewhere in Europe. 
So, so John, I'm interested in in how perhaps it's changed the, some of the dynamic for the presenter themselves. You know, we we talked about um, there's nothing better than a face to face interview if someone is in the is in the studio, and it's obviously a different dynamic if they are if they are remote. So, I'm wondering from the sort of presenter's perspective if they've had to alter perhaps their approach at times to how they do interviews. Yeah, it's it's lovely to see the return of guests. We've started to phase them back into the studio in the last few months, and most are delighted to be back, but there will still be people that aren't comfortable with that at the moment. So so we'll continue with a kind of hybrid model. I don't think we're, we're looking towards pulling things back to full studio interviews because I think we've, we've really benefited from this period in learning new technologies and getting new faces in the TV. Um, but our presenters have to be aware of it. It's much more difficult to challenge an interviewee when you're doing it as a, a remote interview. Um, interrupting them sounds rude at as if you're being a little bit rude at times. So. Um, you have to pick your moment. Delays can be an issue. Um, that can be a little bit of a problem. And we've all seen the the one person delays the other, the other person then delays them back and you end up in this bounce around. So the presenters have had to learn that they, they have to really interpret when someone's about to stop talking so as they can come in and not just interrupt them mid-sentence. Um, professional interviewees um, benefit from that because they can continue to just talk and talk and talk and talk. Um, and it can be really difficult to get in. But um, I think most presenters, I think, will think that there's a big benefit in getting the diversity of guests and that, that that's worth sacrificing the face-to-face interview for. And I presume by extension then, John, you don't probably see things going back to how they were done before, where you have to have people in the studio in order to, to perhaps do the programme. Yeah, not at all. I don't, I don't think um, contributors will allow that. And... Um, obviously, there are times when we will really push contributors to come in if it was, um, again, a political face-to-face debate. We would try and get them there. But more general contributors, I think, will always say that actually it's easier for them just to be at home and to be on the programme that way. And we don't mind that. I think that that's fine. Um, getting a good mix is the most important thing and making sure people are comfortable being on TV via Skype, Quick Link or face-to-face. So you mentioned earlier on, John, that you've had various roles. You know, you and I worked together for a long time as a director and vision mixer, and I was, I was producing shows um, as well. I'm interested in how you think storytelling has developed, not just in the last couple of years, but perhaps over that time as well. You know, I, I can certainly go back to a case where the, you know there would be very, very few pieces to cameras in, in, in packages, whereas now you know live is very much much part of it as well. So I'm interested in how you think that has changed over time. It's interesting. I was, I was the other day. I was just thinking, when was the last time we recorded a phono interview? Because uh, a phono used to be your get out of jail card. If you if you couldn't get to the location and something had just happened, you would phone them up and record them on the the telephone line. Um, and even that we thought was a massive technical challenge at the time. Um, but I can't remember the last time I saw something like that on TV. Um, I, I think. Um, we have a much wider variety of media available to us now, so we can gather um, from all sorts of areas. So, yeah, um, we're looking at social media when we're doing a story to see what's there, and that's often the quickest way to get information and pictures back. Um, it's, it's helpful when it sometimes guides you to where to send your, your crews and your reporters to try and get uh, the story. Um, I think our reporters are all pretty much digitally native now, so they, they don't think traditionally anymore. Um, there's, still, there's still a few reporters from an older generation who will still think that way, but I think the vast majority of the newsroom now, um, their mobile device is their, their key, key 
key instrument in, in challenging uh, them to get um, material and contacts. So, um, yeah, there are lots of pieces of cameras. I think people like FaceTime. <laughs> I think they like being on the screen. Um, so so that, that, that's certainly, I think, the personality behind TV um, um, has, has changed. I think um, a lot of, even at a network level, a lot of people like, like to be the focus of the package, which isn't always the best thing. I think we, we really want the, the contributors to be the stars of our packages. But John, isn't the um, you know, use of personality one of the ways that television news is trying to engage with the audience? You know, I can think of you know some sort of star correspondents, if you like, who uh, who are on various channels here in the UK. So is is that sort of personality not something that that TV channels are trying to capitalise on? Absolutely, and trust as well. Trust is really important. So um, we hope that the audience look to our um, on-screen kind of reporters and correspondents and trust them and uh, we have a very much we want our, our presenters and reporters to be warm and friendly so we don't have as quite as serious as an approach as maybe some of the BBC journalists have we, we, we prefer to be um, seen as someone that uh, you could almost go out with and have a pint if you if you if you're a drinker or you could go and have a coffee if you if you like and trust that that person's telling you the truth when they're talking to you so yeah it is important that people recognize um, the talent that we have um, and but yeah, they become recognised faces in your home there every night. You've you've done a lot of work as a vision mixer and a, and a director in the in the studio, John. When it comes to looking at studios now, what what are the things that you're looking at to really enhance that kind of storytelling ability? Is it the ability to do more live? Is it the ability to have multiple screens? Is it things like virtual sets? You know, how do you how do you sort of look at things at the moment and perhaps thinking ahead to the future? Yeah, it's interesting because the video wall has become king, hasn't it? It's, um, it's everywhere. Um, I, I follow a lot of the American websites for their studio setups for their local stations over there, and they've got massive video walls that curve all around the set. Um, and that's really dominated for the last few years. And we've got video walls in our news sets and our Scotland Tonight set, and they really they allow you to be much more creative and storytelling be it putting great visuals behind the presenter, great information sequences for the presenter to react to or live shots into it. Um, I suppose the, the natural move on from that is the virtual sets, which are, are really dominating now. Um, we, we haven't gone down that route yet. Um, that might be something for the future, but they give you, give you great scope to change your set for different programmes. It really allows you to have a very small studio that looks like a massive studio by um, just kind of creating a little bit of a cheat to the viewer but um but some some of the things that have been done for example bbc sport and itv sport for the world cup it looked amazing for their sports programs um and news is rapidly um, taking that in board as well i'm interested in what you said there john that you, you look at you know stations in the us and you look at other places what what do you think are the kind of influences that you you try to you try to kind of um, absorb, I guess, to try to then bring that to, to what you're doing with STV? You're just looking for the best ideas, aren't you? So um, it's very rare you create something that's completely new. Uh, most of the time you're, 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 you're picking up tips from elsewhere. Um, uh, our current set, our current Scotland Tonight set, um, we took some inspiration from a lot of areas, places like CNN, etc. cetera, um, just looking at how they are doing it. Um, and even a lot of the Asian stations as well, um, they've really beautifully uh, created and designed sets that, that, that uh, they're kind of aspirational for you to try and get something that is, is a bit as good as what they are doing 
often with much smaller budget because they have huge budgets and resources available. But yeah, I, I just think it's it's exciting to see how sets have changed from, from when I first started in the, the business. Um, they were very physical sets. Um, they were often um, looked great on camera. You went round the back of the set and they were, they were <laughs> death hazards. Um, and, and as we've moved on, we've kind of invested in technology. We've invested in higher quality sets because obviously we're now at HD, even 4K. Um, you can have no blemishes visible. Um, um, so, so we really try and get the best and try and make it interesting. Lots of different shots that will keep the viewer interested throughout the programme. Yeah, because one thing I know that some people used to feel in the past was news in particular was, was pretty kind of formulaic. You kind of blocked off how the sh- how the show was um, was going to go, and I guess you know that's to an extent that's what a new show new show is. But do you think there's more variety now than perhaps there was in the past? Yeah, the, well, for the start, there's more competition. Um, there's uh, new news channels getting launched in the UK every day, almost. Um, so, so you have to stay on your feet. And um, news is appearing obviously in other areas. People are getting their news from Facebook and Twitter. Um, so, as broadcasters, we have to be very aware that there is serious competition out there from existing competitors and from new challengers. So um, we we really have to keep it fresh for the viewer. Um, as I say, there is a, a sense of, we we'll always want the viewer to know who we are and to trust us. So we're not going to change our branding or our sets too often because we wanted there to be a familiarity about it. But um, even in the UK, the, the, the change that went through a few years ago where everyone went from sitting behind a desk to sitting on a sofa, as part of the news, it just it goes round in circles, doesn't it? Now everyone's back behind desks again. It's um, it's interesting. Yeah, I guess another element, and, and I see this when I've I've travelled around, is the various different ways that graphics are used. You know, you go to uh, I've been fortunate enough to go to India at times. At times in India, it seems there's more graphics on screen than there is there is video on screen. So I'm interested in how you look to use graphics and again seek to you know look at how other people are doing things and, and perhaps you know incorporate those kind of things as well. Yeah, we had, we had students across from the US a couple of years ago and they came in to watch one of the programmes in the gallery and they were, where's your ticker tape? You don't have a ticker. <laughs> um, but you're right, um, graphics are really important. They give you a real power to change um, the visuals in, in your programme and also to illustrate the story. So we, we, we really care about the graphics um, artists that we have and what they can, they can add to the stories. Um, we've got a good, talented team. Um, producing that but we tend to shy away from on-screen graphics that's not a big thing for us in terms of um, as I say bugs and tickers etc it's a much simpler um, um, look that we use and even in the last uh, six months we've refreshed the graphics and we've made the graphics all a little bit smaller added a bit of transparency and prior to that they were big chunky bars that blocked the screen and you lost a lot of the imagery so um, Graphics are, are a real friend to the producers and the directors in terms of how they can illustrate stories. So um, the tools that we have available now allow us to do things really quickly and render times have come down massively, which makes a, makes a massive difference because um, in the past you would be waiting two to three hours to get your graphic rendered out for your package or for your studio elements. So um, again, in combination with the video walls, it just gives us an awful lot of um, tools available to us to make the programme interesting. The, the way that the creative team have the time to do that, is that also partly driven by the fact that you use templated graphics that the journalists use as well, that they're not having to recreate absolutely every graphic on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
we've benefited as well from recurring stories, which you always get in the news agenda. So COVID's been here for a long time. Um, party gates here and might be coming to an end, might be continuing. So you you, you do refresh and reuse graphics from time to time. Um, but um, the ability for the journalists to be able to template their own graphics just takes the pressure off at times, um, particularly at times when we don't have graphic artists in at weekends and the evening shifts, et cetera. Um, they need the ability to, to produce maps, to produce quotes, et cetera, really quickly and get them on air. So um, it's vital that we have that combination of completed graphics and crafted graphics. Um, but our, our teams, um, we have a good relationship between the journalists and the graphic artists and um, good, good early planning for big projects to make sure they've got time to produce the top quality um, visuals that we require. That's, that's the most important thing. It, your, your job sounds like it's got a huge amount of variety to it, John, in terms of the type of programmes that you're, you're working on, both the studio um, and you mentioned some of the other, you know, um, sort of factual entertainment, you know, perhaps stuff that you do as well. Um, how important is that to you? It's, it's great. Um, like I, As I said at the start, I'm very much a news junkie. That's my heart and soul. Um, I'll always be interested in news. Um, but... Um, the change of role that I've got now allowing me to, to look at other areas. We've got various programme launches coming up, so it allows you to be very creative. It's brilliant sitting and interviewing new people and getting them into the business um, and bringing fresh ideas in. So, um, again, through the COVID period, we didn't have much of a churn of staff. Um, and since since things have started to open up again, we're getting a, a healthy rotation of staff in and out of the building. Um, which is a good thing. You're always sad to see someone move on, but you're always happy to see them get that chance to move on and develop their skills and, and careers. So we're starting to see a turn in staff again. Um, I've been heavily involved in a lot of the recruitment in the last kind of year or so. Um, and it is it's so refreshing to, to meet these people that are they're just so enthusiastic and you're bringing them in and giving them opportunities. So I, I'm loving the fact that I get to work across a variety of programmes um, but it can be a challenge resourcing it all because um, we're not a massive organisation, so it really is a challenge at times. And I guess as well, there's there's the here and now. You have to deal with the things that are you know on the go to on the go today. But you, I guess also, John, in your role now, you have to have a, a bit of an eye on the future as well. So you, are you looking at you know trends? Are you looking at other things and and considering different types of programming or different ways of of storytelling? Is that part of an ongoing process for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Again, we, we talked about sets. I'm constantly um, looking at what other people are doing and seeing innovators in set design. Um, I'm looking at how they tell the stories in terms of the graphics. Um, I'm looking at how they, they, they introduce contributors to their programmes and how we diversify the, number, the people that are in our programmes as well because our audience is changing. Um, we also have to be very aware that we have a very loyal broadcast audience and that's really important to us but there is a massive audience out there on social media as well that we have to, to attract. So it's how you take a piece of content and make sure that it works for different platforms. That can be a real challenge and making sure you've got the right people in your organization that can do that. Because um, if people aren't using things like TikTok and Instagram, um, that, that's, that's where the younger generation are now. So we don't want to end up being a legacy business that eventually just dies. That would be the worst thing that could happen. We have to be prepared to to find new areas, but always remain loyal to our broadcast audience because they've served us really well. You mentioned Instagram and, and, and TikTok there, and we, we've spoken to a few people on the podcast 
and, and it's quite interesting where Instagram and TikTok, you know, come up quite quite a bit now. And I think, you know, a few years ago, perhaps people wouldn't see those kind of platforms as the the battleground, if you like, for news. But it is about telling things in a, in a different way. And so the question I wanted to ask about that then, John, is that you, you come across as still having that great passion and excitement about the business, which I think is which I think is fantastic. Um, is it that kind of passionate excitement of these new things that come in? Is that really where that's coming from? Yeah, I'm not sure. I have to be really honest here. I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> I know what it is, but I'm not on it. Um, Instagram, yeah, I, I think Instagram is great because it, it's such a visual medium. Um, and uh, again, it's, it's really obvious how you can tell a story on Instagram and for it to connect with people. Um, TikTok um, is something that I maybe have to learn. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be an active user of it. Um, but yeah, there, there's people out there and they're they're creating content and they're sharing it with millions and millions of people every day. And to not be on that journey with them, um, you're quite naive if you don't think that that's, that's where things are going. So you really have to be open to the kind of challenges of um, taking on new platforms, new technologies to make sure that you remain relevant. Yeah. So, John, that's, it's been brilliant to talk to you again, John. It's obviously been some time since we've seen each other, but it is, mm-hmm. it's great to, great to see you. Um, there is a final question I ask everyone on the podcast, uh, and that is, what is it, if anything, that keeps you up at night? Well, the honest answer is my dog trying to kick me out of the bed because you, you wake up in the morning and you realise you're right in the edge of the bed and he's got the most of it. Um, that's the thing that keeps me up at night. Um, whew, our, our big challenge at the moment is um, diversity, diversifying our contributors. That's what we, we need to do. We, we really recognise that we have to do that. So that, that is something that is great. Great fun. It's great meeting new people and getting them involved. Um, we've got some great um, uh, processes here at STD. Um, our expert, expert voices um, um, program has had over 500 people who we've given media training to. So we're opening up new doors and getting new people involved in our programming. So the challenge for me is to make sure we deliver that on screen and that those people that get through the process have been trained that we actually give them the platform and get them on. So I think that's great. That's a great challenge to have. Thanks to John for joining us on the podcast. And fingers crossed, it's not too long until we get the chance to meet up in person once again. I think he had some really interesting insights to share there, particularly around the democratisation of participation in shows which the pandemic has brought about, and also about the need for broadcasters to remain relevant and not become legacy businesses. What do you think? Let me know on social. My username is craigaw1969 on Twitter and Instagram or email us. We are making the media at avid.com. Why not leave a review on your podcast platform of choice, like and share the podcast with friends and colleagues. We really value everyone who takes the time to listen. Check out the show notes to find out why Italian broadcaster Rai is investing in the future with Avid Solutions and how the UK broadcaster, the BBC, handles change in its news division in another podcast episode. Thanks again to John. Thanks to our producer, Matt Diggs. That's all for this show. From me, Craig Wilson, thank you so much for listening. Join us next time for more insight into the world of making the media.